Well, good morning, church. I thought we'd start with the lights out. I'm just kidding. Gary's turning them on. <laughs> That's important. That's important. So how's everyone doing today? Good. Great. So we are uh, on message number four of our series. It's I am enlightened in your book. That's right, Karis. You can clap. It's good. Message number four. We are I am enlightened. So we're going to talk about what does that mean to be enlightened? here in a minute. But before that, I want to, the Lord really impressed upon my heart um, as as Brother Stephen came up here and shared uh, what it means to do the work of the Lord, what it means to, to get involved. And the word that just kept going over and over in my mind is, as Brother Stephen was up here was saint. Does everybody in here know what a saint is? Do you? What's a saint, Lewis? Nope, the opposite. Okay, so here's the thing about a saint. This is what Scripture says. Scripture says a saint is someone who is holy and set apart to do the work of God. That's what Scripture says. Someone who is holy, set apart to do the work of God. You know what also Scripture says? Scripture says, before he knit you in your mother's womb, He prepared for you in advance to do good works for Him. Did you know that if you've given your life to the Lord and you are serving Him in whatever capacity He has called you to do, you are one of His saints. So are you a saint? Are you one of His saints? Are you willing to be one of His saints? That's the question. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for my brothers and sisters here today that have gathered and all of our brothers and sisters that have gathered around the world today to worship you, to bring honor and glory to your name, to do the things that you have set apart for us to do before we were even born. Father, thank you for giving us the opportunity to worship together on your behalf that we may spread your kingdom and bring you glory. We praise all these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. That's right. You know what Amen means? It means I agree. So I hope you guys were agreeing with me. That's what we're trying to do here, right? We agree that, that we have a God who is greater than anything we can imagine. Greater than us. Greater than me by far. So the title of today's message is, I am enlightened. And we're going to be in Ephesians going back to right where Pastor John left off last week, and we'll get there in a minute. So if you want to have your Bibles out and ready, that would be great. But first, what does it mean to be enlightened? So in true, I told Pastor John I was going to uh, channel my inner Pastor John today and go to uh, the um, great book of Webster's Dictionary in Britannica. Okay, So the word enlightened means this. Enlightenment means the state of having knowledge or understanding. To be enlightened is to be given knowledge and understanding. All right, so to break this down in football terms, because that's what I did as a coach for a really long time, and so uh, does everybody in here know who the Dallas Cowboys are? Yeah, boo. I mean, uh, go ahead. Sorry. I'm from Wisconsin, okay? Just saying. All right, so you know who Dallas Cowboys are. Yeah, that's true. We are having a bad year, John. We are bad. Okay, so 
What do the Dallas Cowboys do? Win, but they they win sometimes. No, what do they do? What do they literally do? They play football. They play football. All right, so you can, like, I could come up to you, and you've never been in America before. You've never watched American football. You think football is a, a, a game you play with a little round ball and some goals and men running around the field. That's what you think football is, okay? In America, that's soccer. But in everywhere else around the world, that's football. So if you go somewhere else in the world and you say, hey, there's this football team called the Dallas Cowboys, they're going to be like, I've never, what are you talking about? So they can know the name Dallas Cowboys. So they can have the knowledge, oh, there's, a, there's something out there called the Dallas Cowboys. But having an understanding of who they are, that's completely different than just knowing something exists. And enlightenment, to be enlightened, it says, is to be given knowledge and understanding. So you're given the knowledge of something but you're also taught to understand what it means. That's what it means to be enlightened. Everybody say, in true Pastor John fashion, I am enlightened. Yes, it works. I'm learning. I'm learning. So, I want you guys to, to get to grasp um, the sobriety of this. Like this, this is a sobering thought. I am enlightened. If you truly are enlightened, this is what Hebrews says. Hebrews 10, 26 and 27. You don't have to go there. The reference will be up on the screen later. It says this. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. That's a pretty uh, scary thought. So if you've been enlightened, if, if you have the knowledge of what it means to actually follow God, if you have the knowledge of what the gospel is, and you choose not to follow it, you're an adversary of God. And if you're an adversary of God, don't be mad at me. Scripture. It's right here. That's what we're reading. This was it says. This is what it says. I know, I started deep right away, huh? That wasn't me, that's the Lord. Like We have to understand, if we are enlightened, if we know the truth, then we're held accountable to that. We are. I am. I am held accountable for Mike and his actions on whether I follow what the Lord has for me or I don't. We're going to jump right into our first point today. Our first point is this. I can personally know my God, His power, and my future. I can personally know my God, His power, and my future. That's your first point in your bulletin. So I want everybody, we're going to say this together. Ready? I can personally know my God, His power, and my future. Each one of you, each one of us, we can know him personally. We're going to turn to Ephesians, starting in verse 15. Paul writes, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, 
remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. There's a lot to unpack there. But I want to start right away in verse 15. Paul says, for this reason. So what reason does Paul know of them? How does Paul even know of these people? Because he doesn't say he knows them personally. He says he knows of them. He he knows of them because of their testimony and faith in Jesus Christ. You see, people know you are Christians by how you act and by what you say. Okay? Now, there, there's a, we're going to get into the love part, but I want you to understand, if you are not testifying to who Christ is with your life and in your life, how do people know that you're a Christian? The worst fear for me is I can be around somebody for a lengthy period of time, six months, a year, two years, and then we're in a conversation and I'm talking about Jesus and they're like, you're a Christian? And that could be, that's the worst. I don't, I don't know about you, but that's the worst fear for me that people don't even know I'm a Christian. Like my actions my thoughts, my words, they don't come out as glorifying Christ or building the kingdom. They don't even know that I'm a Christian. And Paul says, for, the, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith. Not only are they testifying about Jesus, but other people are testifying about, man, look at these guys are doing. Look at these guys are doing. They love Jesus so much. Look at them, look at them, look at them. He has heard of their faith. How is this important that we are out there enough where people can see us and hear us? I'm going to read some scriptures. Some references will be up there that you can write down and look at later. Uh, I'm just going to read them really quickly. Daniel 4.10, so old, or 4.2, sorry, Old Testament says this. It has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. It is good to show them what the Lord has done for you. It is good to tell people and show, this is what the Lord has done for me. This is what He's done in my life. 1 Peter 3.15 But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Right? We're not called to be like, listen, I'm this way because, you know, God loves me. But you, <laughs> let me tell you, sinner that you are. It's not what it says. It says we're supposed to do it with gentleness and respect. But we're still called to give a defense. If someone asks you, why do you have that hope? You better be able to know why you have that hope. Otherwise, it's a false hope. You need to understand, what is this hope? That I have. And then Mark 5, 5.19 says this. And he did not permit him. So he wanted to go. This guy wanted to go away. Jesus uh, did this miracle for him. He wanted to go away. And Jesus, he did not permit him. Or no, he wanted to follow him. I'm sorry. He wanted to stay with Jesus. He wanted to follow him. But Jesus didn't permit him to stay. Instead, he says this. Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has mercy how he has had mercy on you. So he wanted to stay. Like Jesus, 
just did this great miracle for him. He wanted to stay with Jesus. He wanted to follow Jesus, right? And Jesus says, nope, not for you. You need to go home and tell people. Go tell them the mercy I have had for you. Think about that. Think about the mercy he has shown you. So we've talked about mercy and grace before. I, Pastor John has talked about the difference between mercy and grace. When, when, when you are a sinner, like all of us are, we deserve death. But the mercy is that that debt was paid for us. That's mercy. Okay? And so he's telling this guy, no, go home and tell your friends the mercy I've shown you. I've given you mercy. And here's my favorite one. Revelation 12.11. So the beginning of Revelation 12 here is talking about Lucifer, Satan, devil. All right? And, and this is a direct reference. Call him the dragon. Okay? And, and he says this. And they have conquered him, the dragon, by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they love not their lives even unto death. So they conquered Satan. They conquered the devil by the blood of the Lamb. That's the blood of Jesus Christ shed on the cross for you, for me. And by the word of their testimony. You might think your testimony is not worth very much or you don't have a good one or you don't have one at all. And I'm going to tell you that is an, a lie of the enemy. Every single person in here that has given their life to the Lord has a testimony. Every single person in here, period, has a testimony. It's what are you testifying to? If you are saved, redeemed by the blood of Jesus, your testimony is that. He has shown you mercy when you did not deserve it. That is your testimony. Your testimony is to testify about who you were before Christ, and now who are you under Christ, under the blood? Never think that your testimony doesn't have power. Scripture says there is power in the testimony of the saints. And here in verse 15 it says, For this reason, because I have heard your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love toward all the saints. So here's the second way that Paul, he knew of them. He knew of them to the point of giving thanks for them and for praying for them. He gave thanks for who they were and he prayed for them. That's how well he knew of them. And it says, he knew of them because of their love towards one another, towards the church, towards the saints. Christ changed them so much that they were all of a sudden loving people they didn't like. I don't, I don't know if you know this about Scripture, but Scripture doesn't say you must like your neighbor. don't have to like them. You don't. It never says that. It does say you have to love them. It doesn't matter whether you like them or not. Not to God. What matters is are you going to love them? Are you going to sacrifice the feelings that you have and love them? Whether you like them or not doesn't matter. And if you're not willing to do that, then you're not truly willing to follow the Lord because this is a command He has given us. And how do we know that? Well, here we are. John 15, 12-14 says this. This is my commandment 
that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. You notice that he starts, this is my command. Are there any military, ex-military people in here? Raise your hand, ex-military. Okay, all right, you too. What happens if uh, your commander, yep, Philip, I was pointing at you too. What happens if your commander gives you an order and you don't follow it? Is it a suggestion, Philip? No, it's not a suggestion. It is a command. And our Lord and Savior, my Lord and Savior, has commanded me to love you. You notice he doesn't say love the world. He doesn't even say love those in the world. Our commandment is to love one another, brothers and sisters in Christ, first. So I'll tell you what, in the church today, there's more fighting in the walls of the church than there are with the people of the world. And that's wrong. We're called to love. It says it right there. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Well, how did Christ love you? How did Christ love you? I want you to think about it. How did Christ love thee? I'll tell you how he loved me. While I was yet a sinner, he died for me. He hung on the cross for me. His blood was shed for me. He forgave me of my sins and trespasses against his Father. That's how I'm called to love you. That's how you're called to love me. We are called to love one another the way Jesus does. The way that He loves the church. The second point in your pamphlet there is this. I can know my stunning God personally. There you go. Or first one, sorry. I can know my stunning God personally. I can know my stunning God personally. Somehow I jumped to the second. That's what happens with notes. I can know my stunning God personally. What does stunning mean? When you think of stunning, what do you think that it means? What? No, stunning. If you think of stunning, what do you think of, Mia? If someone was like, that's stunning. Huh? Ava, what do you think? You. Right? Oh my good, they're beautiful, right? That's that's the way our world has trained us. Stunning. Our first thing that we go to is that's beautiful. Do you know there was a meaning before that? Something that's stunning literally means shocking. Something that is so awe-inspiring, you're frozen to a spot. You're stunned. You can't move. You can't think. You're literally just like, wow. And yes, that could be someone who is just extremely beautiful and looking ravishing. You're like, wow, look at them. Right? But I'll tell you, it had a meaning before that. Acts Acts 9, 3-4 says this. This is talking about Paul. Paul is killing Christians. Yes, Paul. St. Paul who writes the Bible. Saul, 
at this point, he was Saul. He's not yet changed to Paul. He was killing Christians. He was pulling out of their house. He was torturing them, and he was killing them. He made them confess. That's what it said. He would make them confess that they were Christians. I don't know about you, but people who are scared, um, they tend not to confess things unless they're coerced. And usually that coercion comes back then in a way of very much pain. This is what Paul was doing. And then we see this here, Acts 9, 3 through 4 says, Now as he, Paul, went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. Falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting Some versions say falling to the ground as if dead. And you can find other people throughout that God spoke to them. God showed up and all of a sudden they were like. (gasps) They were so, it was so shocking that God spoke to him. He just fell down. He just fell down. We can see this again to John in Revelation. John, as he he enters this state um, of this dream, this revelation that is given to him. He says this, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. When I saw him, this is is John saying, when John fell, when he saw God, he fell at his feet as though he was dead. I don't know if you've ever seen a dead person. They don't move. When they fall, where where they're at, that's it. As if dead. He was, he was so shocked. He was so shocked that he fell down and he couldn't move. So this is what it's talking about when we're talking about I can know my stunning God personally. God, when he speaks to somebody, when he reveals himself to you on a personal level, you are stunned. You are shocked. You can't even understand what is happening. You can't move. I know this personally. You see, when I, when I gave my life to Christ, it was in a prison cell, in solitary confinement. I had at this point been in prison for a while. I had been in solitary confinement for two and a half years. Solitary confinement is this. Go home, lock yourself in your bathroom, and... Uh, Every couple of hours, Stephen will come by and open the thing to make sure you're still alive, and three times a day, he's going to open a trap in the door and feed you food. I say Stephen because he's a big guy, and that's what most guards are in prison, so they come through. Although Fred, he knows this one very well. That was me. I was like at the lowest of lows in my life, and I remember this. When I got sentenced to prison, my grandma, wise woman that she was, she, she gave me a hug, she gave me a kiss, and then she held me by my shoulder, she looked at me, she said, Michael, when you reach rock bottom, just cry out to Jesus. Just try him. Just do me a favor and try Jesus. You know who he is. You've gone to church with me. Just try him. And I remember thinking in my mind, this lady's crazy. I'm going to prison. I'm supposed to be graduating high school. Instead, I'm going to prison. I am at rock bottom. No, that woman knew. She knew me better than I knew myself. She knew that I was going to continue to spiral out of control. And it ended me up in solitary confinement. And on, on that day, I was sitting like a big old baby crying, sobbing on the floor because I hated myself. Hate, filled with hate and rage. And the Lord said, enough, it's over, get up. 
And I don't mean like I opened up the Bible and, oh, I read this passage. No, I was laying there crying, sobbing, and a voice said, enough, it's over, get up. And I remember freezing. I mean, like, not freezing cold, but like frozen like this. And all the hair on my body stood up. I don't know if you've ever been in any round, any spiritual thing where all of a sudden you're like, all the hairs on your body are like, what's going on? Something's different here. That was this. I mean, I instantly stopped crying. Instantly, like, and I froze, and I couldn't move, and I thought two things. One, in the blink of an eye, I thought these two things. One, I think God just spoke to me. Two, man, I hope that's God, or I just lost my mind. Wait, no, I don't want that to be God. If that's God, I've done everything my whole life against Him. Those are the things that went through my mind instantly. I said, enough, it's over, get up. I know what it's like for my God to speak to me and just be like, wow, mind blown, what happened? You know, the popular thing today is like, yeah, that's what happened. I remember thinking, God is real. God is real. God is real. That's all I can think. God is real. Wait, if God is real, shoot. What did I just do my whole life? Yeah, nothing. You're right. Nothing but evil. Nothing but sin. Nothing but but come against my Lord. Come against my Creator. The very being that created me, I had been living against. I was His adversary. Verse 18, continuing on in Ephesians 1, says, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you. What are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints? Man, my eyes were opened in that moment. I'll tell you what, when God spoke to me, I was like, huh, He's real. Remember, I just told you, I couldn't stop saying He's real. He's real. My eyes were opened. There's no more doubt that my Creator lived. There's no more doubt that I was created. Now the enemy has tried to put doubts in here and there. Tried to put doubts in like he does. He tries to get us to doubt. But in that moment, I knew what my hope was. My hope wasn't in myself. There's nothing I could do to get out of it. As a matter of fact, I cried out to God, Lord, if you exist, that's what I said, if you exist, God, if you exist, you need to change me because I can't. Everything I do, I fail and I make it worse. And then he said, bam, enough, it's over, get up. And I already told you all that way because that was like, (sighs) you get over it after a second. And then you start thinking, what is this? What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? Why does he keep talking about the saints? Why does Paul keep talking about the saints? Because he's talking about our love for one another. And if we are doing exactly what God has called us to do, if we have given our lives, if we are following after him, if we are doing his work that he set us apart to do before we were born, you are his saints. You are the ones that are doing his work. You are special simply because he is special and he has called you to be special. He has called you to be his. When you understand the plight of man, your own plight, 
you become ashamed and afraid. That was me in that moment. All of a sudden, I was like, Whew, I'm going crazy or that's the Lord. I mean, I actually hope I'm going crazy because if that's the Lord, huh, I became afraid of what I had done and ashamed of the way that I lived. And that's how we are. When we come to recognize what sin is, all of a sudden we're ashamed. Why do you think evil, why do you think people who are doing bad things want to do everything in the dark? Because they don't want anybody to see what they're doing. Right? And they're afraid of the light because if the light shines on them, they will be exposed. And if you're exposed, then everybody will know what you did. Well, in that moment, in that cell, I felt exposed. I knew that God had saw everything I had ever done. He knew it, and I knew it, and that was a frightening experience. To know that God knew everything that I did against Him, and that He was real. There's nothing that you can hide from God. I mean, there's things that we even try to hide from ourselves, right? But not God. In that moment, I knew He knew the most inner me. See, when you understand that, when you understand, you become ashamed and afraid. But also, when you come to understand John 3.16, all right, church, I'm going to call on your memory here. All the kids that grew up in children's church, we're going to start this. We're going to say this together. Aaron, you ready? For God so loved the world, and He gave His only Son... Good job, guys. You have been indoctrinated when you were a child. I get that one. Even I knew that, and I didn't go to church, but for Awanas and candy. My grandma would pick me up. She'd take me to this thing called Awanas. If I memorized verses, I got candy. Woo, that was the best thing ever for a hyperactive kid that wasn't allowed candy. You know how well I learned verses? Real well. You know how well I knew them and put them in practice later on? Not at all. But here's the thing. If you understand... That God gave His Son for you. If you understand that God gave His Son to die for you. For your sin. Because that's in that moment I came to understand that. In that moment I came to understand that God gave His Son to die for me. And that if I believed in Him and I repented, I would have everlasting life. I would have eternal life. Does that mean I won't die here on earth? No, I probably will. Unless Jesus comes back and the rapture happens, but that's a whole other story. It means that I will be forever with my God who created me. It's the way that He created us to be. You see, when you receive this gift and you repent, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit. Pastor John talked about this last week, being sealed with the Holy Spirit. When you're sealed with the Holy Spirit, you are filled with God's power. The understanding of our plight. Here we go. Youth group kids, you guys all awake? You ready for this? I'm expecting my high schoolers. If there's good news, there's... Okay, what is the bad news? What is sin? What is death? No, what is death? Lewis, shh. What is death, Mia? What are we... We're separating ourselves from God. So if there's bad news, and the bad news is sin, we're all sinners. What's the good news? What's the good news, Brandon? Huh? 
Salvation through what? Through Christ on the cross. So this is what we've been going over and over and over in our youth group is this. You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. We're all sinners. That's the bad news is that we deserve death. We deserve death. But instead, God doesn't want us to die. He doesn't want us to be separated. So He made a way through His Son that we don't have to be. Second point is this. I can know my awesome future assuredly. I can know my awesome future. It says unquestionably. God must have changed it on me. <laughs> assuredly, unquestionably means the same thing. You can know it without a doubt. You can know what your future is. Verse 19 says this, And what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe? We're back in Ephesians. According to the work of His great might, that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the one to come, and he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fulfillment of him who fills all in all. Man, that's a lot. That's a lot. How could you know for sure? Well, we can know for sure that our God who has stunned us, who is so stunning, that we can't even understand who He is, let alone His power. We can find assurance because Christ says. I'm going to ask you this. What kind of power is this? What kind of power is this we're looking at in the Scripture? What kind of power is this? Well, the first thing is it's all power. All. All meaning all. All power that there is period, is His. All power. Every ounce, every drop, all power. It's His. There's so much of it that we can't even measure the power. It's unmatchable. It starts with this. And what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us? So much power, we can't even measure it. You can't measure the power that God has for you. We can't even comprehend it. It is unmatchable. So what is Jesus given power over? In this verse it says this, everything, above every name, above all rule, all authority, all dominion, above everything. It even says to the point that all things God placed under Jesus' feet. Everything is like a footstool to Him. He is so far above everything, it says God put it under His feet. Everything else. But then it goes on to say that He gives all power for everything to us. 
verse 23, which is his body, the church, right? Just said the, the church, which is his body, that's us, the fulfillness of him who fills all in all. You see, we are the church. You make up the body of Christ. We together, along with all the other believers, all the other saints around the world, we are the body of Christ. He is the head. We are the body. Does he need us? No. Does he use us? Wow. Wow. Does he use us? If you have repented and given your life to the Lord, you are a part of his body. We are fulfilled by Jesus who was fulfilled by God the Father. Think about that. Pastor John talked about last week being sealed by the Holy Spirit and all His power is given to us. doesn't mean we get to go out there and wield magical swords and do whatever we want. The power that lives in us is Him. And He gives us the power to do His will. Things that we can't do on our own. Huh? Even heal ourselves. We can't do that. I don't know about you, but if you've ever tried to, to beat sadness or depression on your own, how did it go for you? It didn't go very well, right? How about anger? Ooh, you ever tried to just diffuse yourself when you're angry? Yeah, it doesn't work, does it? No, you can say it does, but you're just lying to yourself. Trust me, someone who was filled with anger and rage for years and years and years only can be released through God. He gives us the power in us to do these things that we cannot do. He gives us the power to love one another when we don't even like each other. You want to know how you can love somebody you don't like? Jesus. He gives you the power. He fulfills you. That's how you can know. He gives you the assurance that you can do anything, anything because He is filling you. He fills you up. I'm talking about Thanksgiving full. All right? You ever been to that? That Just think of that one. Just think of Thanksgiving. Think of that one Thanksgiving dinner. Just that one. I can think of many. I think of that one where you were like, oh, what did I do? I'm so full. I'm in that turkey trance. I can't move. We're talking about that full. But do you ever notice at that same Thanksgiving, you were like, oh, there's more food on the table. That's us. That's us as Christians. I want to tell you, you are filled with the Holy Spirit. You are filled and you're so full. You're beyond Thanksgiving full, but still we're like, I want more. <laughs> I'm not full enough. Just like every time we all wander off on Thanksgiving to go get more food, we pay for it later. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, my wife has seen me many times. Uh, buttons undone, shirts undone, sitting on the thing, and I'm like, oh, She's like, yeah, you did it to yourself. And I'm like, yes, I did. I want more. So that's how we are when it comes to the power of God. We are so full. And our problem is we think we're still hungry. Only thing you should be hungry for is His Word and revelation to you and where He wants you to be and working in His name. That's it. Because you're filled to the brim with everything else. You have the power to do it. You have the power to do it. It's there. Don't let the, eye of the, the, the lie of the enemy get in your head. It's there. If you are His, if you have given your life to Him, you are one of His saints, He has 
equipped you from the beginning with things to do for Him before you were born. You were set apart to do those things. The third point is this. I can know His unmatchable power experientially. I can know His unmatchable power experientially. I'm going to make a statement here. This is one I believe wholeheartedly. John and I have discussed this. Pastor John and I have discussed this. If you have never encountered God, if you have never experienced God, my belief is this. You can't be saved. Sorry if I burst any bubble in here. If you've never encountered God, if you've never experienced God, you can't be saved. There's nowhere, nowhere in here, nowhere, where somebody was saved that didn't encounter Jesus or didn't encounter God. You must experience who He is. Hearing isn't enough. Having the head knowledge of who He is isn't enough. You see, we're required to give all to Him. We're required to repent in the forgiveness process, we have a job to do. We can't earn it, but we have to accept it. We have to turn away from our old life. We have to, to give up on the things that we want to hold on to. We have to encounter Him personally. And I'll tell you one thing about encountering Him. There are people out there especially in the philosophy area, in our schools around this nation, especially in the higher education schools, they can talk circles around this. They can talk circles around, or they think they can. They can be, well, what about this? Well, the Bible says this. They know this. I've met Muslims who know this better than most Christians I've ever met. And their only reason they want to know Scripture, know knowledge, is because they want to be able to use it against you. But I'll tell you one thing, one thing none of them can do. None of them. None of them can explain away your encounter with Jesus. Nobody can go back to Paul and say, Hey Paul, on the road to Damascus, uh, the sun was just extra bright and something was hurting your eyes. There, no one's going to explain away to Paul that God came in this bright light, so bright that it stunned him, that he fell down and couldn't get up, and that it blinded him until a man spit on his hands and wiped his eyes, and the scales, it's the scales fell from his eyes, and of all of a sudden he could see. But if you read that verse, it doesn't just say he could see like I see Pastor John here. He could see with his heart. He was changed. Nobody can tell, people can try and tell Paul, well, that was just, the sun was extra bright. Something got in your eye. But Paul knows the truth. And see, that's the difference between knowledge and understanding. You can know who Jesus is. Even the demons know His name and shudder, but they don't follow Him. They haven't given their lives. They haven't repented. They actually rebelled against Him. They had the same knowledge. But do you understand? Are you enlightened? You see, once you become enlightened, you can't, you can't turn back. The demons can't say, I'm sorry, God, I didn't know, because they knew. 
They knew and they rebelled anyway. And now they're separated from him. They're separated from him. I want to end with this. We cannot grasp truth without God. Opening our eyes, giving us wisdom. We might have knowledge. But if we don't understand the truth, if we just have perceived truth instead of revealed truth, we're in trouble. By nature, we are spiritually blind. All of us. We are born with a sin nature and that blinds us to who he is and who he wants to be to us. When you've given your life to him, when you've actually repented and you say, Lord, Lord, here am I. Just like Paul, your scales are removed. They've fallen away. And you can say, I am enlightened now. After today's message, if you're truly listened, you know the truth. And if you understand what that means, you are enlightened. And my friends, I'm sorry, but you can never go back again and say, sorry, God, I didn't know. That, ex- that, that excuse no longer exists. You know, are you going to understand what that means? I want to go back to Hebrews 10, the same one that we started with. Hebrews 10, 26 and 27. For if we go on sinning deliberately, if you know something's wrong, if your mama just made some cookies and they're up on the counter and she said, don't you dare. And as soon as she left that kitchen, you're like, (laughs) you know that's wrong. You also know when you get caught, what's going to happen. Yeah. If you had a good mama, you're getting whooped. Some of you need to be whooped a little more. Yeah. If you had a good mama, your butt was... Okay? If you go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment. We're all going to be judged. We're all going to be judged. And when you f- stand in front of that judge, when you, f- when you stand in front of your Creator and He's judging you, is He judging you for you and are you going to pay for your sin? Or is He judging you by the blood of His Son that covers you? And you are now blameless in His eyes. How will you be judged? You are either His heir or His adversary. That's what Scripture says. When you've given your life, you are his. You've repented and you've turned to him. You are now a child of God. You became an heir to his kingdom. So you're either his heir or you're his adversary. And I don't know about you, but on that prison cell, in that moment, I knew that I had lived as as his adversary my whole life. And I was afraid. And I was ashamed. And I did no longer want to live that way. My prayer is that you will come to know him personally. So here's these three questions that I want to leave you with for the rest of this week. Do you personally know the one true God? Do you personally know him? Not my parents knew him, so I know him. Do you know him? Not a friend of a friend knows so-and-so, 
No, do you personally know the one true God? The second question is this. Are you experiencing his power? Are you experiencing his power? Are you just relying on yourself? Are you actually experiencing his power? And the third and final one is this. What does your future look like? What does your future look like? I hope so, because here's the two ways I want you to look at this. What does your future look like with him and without him? So you either choose knowledge and truth, and you turn your life over to him, and your future is with him, or your future is without him. You're either his heir or his adversary. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time that you have given us to come to know who you are, to come to the knowledge of who you are. Father, I pray that each person in here comes also to the understanding of who you are. Such an understanding of truth that no one, no one can take from them the encounter that they have with you. No one can talk circles around them because they have you and the power of your spirit sealed by the spirit with the power in them that can answer any question no matter how smart the person is they're in front of. They can say, no, my God is real. I am enlightened. Father, let us all be enlightened. Let us have the knowledge and understanding that we are heirs in your kingdom, that we are filled with your power, that we are sealed by your Holy Spirit. and We are called to be the saints in this world that is full of darkness, that we are holy and set apart to do your work. Father, thank you that you use us, though you don't need us. Let us be used by you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.